Hello and welcome to Full Time with Meg Linehan. This is a show about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Meg, your host. I'm a staff writer at The Athletic, covering the NWSL, the U.S. Women's National Team, and more. Before we start the show this week, like everyone else this past weekend, I was extremely, extremely saddened to hear the update about Daryl Grove, one of the hosts of Total Soccer Show and his health. I wanted to start the show by sending all of my good vibes to Daryl, his family, and to Taylor Rockwell of Total Soccer Show. That is also why I started the show with hello and welcome. I finally had the pleasure of sitting down to record an episode of their podcast back at the NWSL draft in January, which feels like, I mean, three years ago at this point, but I just listened back to the start of that episode with Daryl's intro describing the work and also the reason for my sleep deprivation by the time I did finally actually sit down at their booth to record. It's sometimes easy as a woman soccer writer to not feel entirely a part of the American soccer landscape as a whole. Yes, the U.S. Women's National Team gets plenty of attention every four years, but when it comes time for the smaller stories, or even the big ones, like embedding with a team for a draft, there is not always a guarantee that American soccer, all caps, trademark, right, will actually give a shit about your work. Daryl and Taylor have been thoughtful and meaningful in their women's soccer coverage, and I always appreciate how they came to the table fully prepared. It's not a given, but it speaks to the work that they do and have done for years and years. Adam Whitaker-Snavely wrote this week, and if you didn't read his full thoughts, uh, make the time. I'll have the link in the description for this episode. But he wrote, it makes complete sense to me why so many people gravitated towards him, Daryl, and why so many people still do and how they want to help him, how they want to comfort him, how they want to make him know what he means to them. It's a sign of living well, countless people wanting to help you because you have already helped them simply in the way that you carry yourself and interact with people. I'm not necessarily the praying type of person, but as difficult as this moment is, I think it shows us the best of what this space can be, a community where we fight for each other and appreciate each other and support each other with love. This week will be an episode about women's soccer, uh, but I would also like to take the discussion I'm about to have on this show one step higher. On Tuesday, Sam Stachel and Pablo Moore published a feature titled Disconnect as MLS teams back social causes, owners' money often fights them on the athletic. Now, this feature is obviously built on looking at MLS owners' political donations and how many of them can be at odds with the messaging of the teams and generally the interests and beliefs of a more progressive fan base. But there is some overlap with the NWSL, obviously, and both of these leagues occupy many of the same spaces. Sam and Pablo join me today to discuss the article. I've also taken my own spin through the FEC database to see if there's any notable data on NWSL owners as well. And then we're going to go big picture when it comes to American soccer. All right. Whew. I've also just returned from a bit of a working vacation this past weekend. We went a couple hours north to spend a lot of time in nature, very distanced from people for my wife's birthday and our wedding anniversary, and so much happened. So here is all the latest this week. On Wednesday, well, technically Tuesday night, thanks to Natalie Portman's appearance on The Tonight Show uh, when she confirmed the name, but on Wednesday, Angel City FC officially became the name of the Los Angeles NWSL expansion team. It's so exciting. Um, we, a group of us um, became really passionate about uh, women's soccer because we have the best players in the world in the United States in the most popular sport in the world. And 
So we got together and we are bringing Angel City um, FC, the women's soccer team for Los Angeles, um, to LA in 2022. And we are super excited to just um, kind of celebrate these incredible athletes. They also announced a bunch more new owners. This is par for the course for them, but including Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss, uh, Candace Parker and her daughter Layla, Lindsey Vaughn and P.K. Subban, uh, Sophia Bush. I mean, the total list of new owners comes in at 41 names, so again, just beyond anything we have ever seen in the NWSL. The team had also previously announced some new front office hires, but I do want to give a nod to the team hiring Kim McCauley as the new director of recruitment and analytics. Here's the official job description from the team. Her focus is to build player analysis models and databases to ensure the future coach is armed with the tools they need to successfully assemble the team's inaugural squad. She will also work collaboratively to build out the coaching staff and Angel City's playing philosophy. Extremely exciting. All right, the U.S. Women's National Team camp is underway in Colorado. The team has only just progressed to the stage of actually being able to have full squad training sessions. But again, without a game attached to this camp, this is more of a development opportunity and a chance for Vlatko Andonovsky, the head coach, to get a better sense of the depth and future of this squad. So like I teased last week on the show, I spoke to Vlatko for a long time, and that story is now up on The Athletic. We talked about a lot of things, but including Sophia Smith, the number one draft pick of the 2020 NWSL college draft, who finally made her debut for the Portland Thorns during the fall series. And he told me that he was extremely impressed by her confidence on the field, that she looked like she had 100 caps under her belt already. Here's Sophia Smith from a media availability held on Tuesday through U.S. Soccer on her approach to this October camp. Yeah, I think this training camp is just a super important time for me to kind of like I said, get to, get back to where I was before my injury and, and get that confidence back and also just be the best player that I can be and learn and grow every single day and, and learn from the amazing players around me. Um, and, and yeah, just bring all my qualities and the things that I think I'm, I'm good at, bring it to the table and, and do it at a high level and just, you know, have a, have a fun, a fun week getting to play soccer, given the circumstances of what's going on in, in the world right now. I think we're pretty lucky to be able to make this happen. Um, so, yeah. All right, it's hard to believe, but we are done with the NWSL for 2020, at least on the field. The NWSL Fall Series wrapped up last weekend as the Orlando Pride battled back for a 3-3 draw against the North Carolina Courage. Then OL Reign picked up their first win of the fall against Utah Royals FC. This also means that we got our final batch of television ratings for the Fall Series. The Pride Courage game earned 366,000 viewers. The five games on CBS averaged 382,000 viewers. With the Courage vs. Pride game on September 19th, hitting the highest number of the fall at 495,000. Again, not a ton of promotion on a larger level, short notice for the games, the the league missing a bunch of big-name players, obviously, but these are very solid numbers for the NWSL, though there is still, obviously, plenty of room to grow. Alex Morgan Watch has been quite the activity on both sides of the Atlantic, but we're going to have to postpone the red alerts on social media for a while. Morgan tweeted last weekend, Quote, a small setback keeping me from doing what I love. Can't wait to get on the field with this team in the next few weeks. Literally can't wait. All right, one big item that has some major implications on the international stage. Germany, Belgium, and the Netherlands have announced that they intend to create a joint bid for the 2027 World Cup. Now, this is really early into the process. 
We don't have a schedule at all. Yes, that includes me as to FIFA's bidding process for 2027. All right, so the video that the three countries released was also pretty entertaining and leaned into how much they actually do hate each other on the field, but the federations are more than happy to work together. Germany has World Cup experience hosting in 2011, and both Germany and the Netherlands have hosted the Euros, but this would be Belgium's first major tournament. We love to tease, to provoke and tear open old wounds. But in the end, it's that competition that made us strong and reminds us that our battles from the past ignite our future together. And folks in the States may remember that under former U.S. soccer president Carlos Cordero, there was some talk of bidding for the 2027 World Cup, especially with the 2026 Men's World Cup, already meaning that some infrastructure would be in place, though that is a joint World Cup with Mexico and Canada. We still haven't heard much from the Federation on this front as of late, but considering the usual timelines for the Women's World Cup bidding, compared to the men, they have a lot of time to determine the right course of action. All right, so much news, and there was even more I could have included, but also (laughs) it's perfect timing because I did want to take a minute to point out that some of our other new features at The Athletic cover news, big and small. I want you to make sure that you're updated to the most recent version of the app and hit the real-time tab if you follow the U.S. Women's National Team or NWSL or any of the NWSL teams. You can follow individual teams. I'm in that real-time tab reporting on the smaller tidbits of news, but we also have a news team here at The Athletic and we're bringing you headlines. For instance, we had one just this week about Angel City's official name and the new owners that featured insights from me, Sam, another former guest on this pod, our WNBA writer, Chantel Jennings. Headlines are unlocked for all to read, but hopefully you'll want to go deeper with more of our women's soccer coverage. And you can do that by starting a new subscription at theathletic.com slash full time. We've still got that $1 a month deal going for our podcast listeners. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, so much, so much. Time for Pablo and Sam of The Athletic Soccer to join me to keep the conversation going about their giant feature for the week. All right, so let's let's start with this story. Um, I feel like our vertical has really been grappling with this idea of a disconnect, right, between owners and teams and just generally kind of the world of politics in general. Pablo, you and I co-wrote a story with Jeff about political statements, right, in term, or team statements in terms of police brutality and, and the word choice uh, that was used or not used in many cases. How did this particular story, where did the idea for this story actually start? Uh, I think it's something that I've been batting around for a while, <clears throat> probably just um, honestly, uh, first out of curiosity, you know, just sort of spend an hour plugging uh, everybody's names into the FEC database. Um, uh, you know, my own, my parents, friends, uh, random MLS players, administrators. <laughs> and I think I very quickly realized it was definitely way too much work for one person. And from a fact-checking perspective, uh, I knew it'd be super helpful to have um, somebody else, particularly someone as thorough, Sam. So, so I looped him in and then uh, I guess we went from there. 
Yeah, I know you at one point had slacked me and you were like, ah, yes, I'm looking at your FEC data. You sure do like Elizabeth Warren, right? And both of you actually put <laughs> your your donations or your political affiliations in the story too. How important was it for you to actually include that as you're writing the story? Um, well, I think, you know, part of the reason I got in on this story was because I saw a piece that I want to shout out in the ringer about MBA owners in a very mm -hmm. similar vein. Um, and that I slacked that to Pablo cause I knew he had been kind of fooling around with some of that stuff and that like, that's how I got involved in one of the ways. And the author of that piece, whose name I'm unfortunately forgetting at the moment, so apologies, uh, he included that stuff. And I thought that that was pretty, uh, I, I thought it was just a, a good thing to do. You know, people are going to be wondering anyway, right? Mm -hmm. And people are going to kind of think like, okay, you're writing this piece. Are you politically motivated? Are you biased? And like in the world we live in, like we played it straight like it was factual what we laid out there it's publicly available information but like as much as journalists like to say oh we're unbiased we're objective we're impartial like everyone every human being in the world approaches every story with some sort of you know previous notions or conceptions or whatever so i thought it was just important and i pablo we we both thought it was important to just kind of get that out there people were going to be wondering anyway and it's not really that hard to find if you follow any of us on twitter so yeah. yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to give somebody the pleasure of like getting the gotcha moment with me of being like, ah, you donated to Bernie Sanders. So this invalidates all your work, which, which it really doesn't, but try right. not to give anybody any, any ammunition. <laughs> Full disclosure, Pablo, right? Honesty is the best policy. Yeah. Pablo, we were talking earlier about some of the scope, right? Because when I, when I reached out to the two of you and I said, I'd really like to discuss this on the show, because I think that there are a lot of takeaways for women's soccer and just American soccer in general, right? Like we're, we're going to dig into that, but can you describe to me maybe the scope of the actual data that you were collecting and how you went about actually like putting together some of this? It sounds like also there have been some last minute additions to the numbers. Maybe Sam, you can touch on that, but Pablo, if you want to actually just walk us through the scope of how you figured out you're going to focus on maybe individual over corporate. Yeah, I mean, I think it just it's it is such a heavy lift data wise that we did have to sort of be a little narrow with it. Um, you know, one thing I admired about that ringer piece that Sam was talking about was that they also factored in spouses, for example, of ownership. Um, you know, but we we chose to stick basically to um, I think our guy was like every majority and minority as, uh, investor we could find in MLS. Um, you know, so it was just as tedious and simple as plugging those names into the FEC database and then compiling the ones we could conclusively say were those people. Um, you know, there's also information about, you know, the employer, zip code you can use to narrow that down, for example. And then also I think um, you had to sort of narrow down which issues we want to focus on. Um, and uh, Sam and Alex definitely pushed this. I think it was a, a good idea in retrospect to sort of focus in on just the ones that teams have taken public stances on. Um, can be difficult sometimes because my mind wanders to other social issues. Abortion is one that I thought of immediately, but those aren't, you know, those actually aren't, don't end up being issues that, that the teams actually publicly make any statement on. So it's difficult to say, you know, to say, well, you know, look, they're saying one thing and doing another when they, they don't even touch stuff like that. Right. Sam, have you, 
I do want to get into this a little bit more later on, but have you heard of any last minute donations coming in that are now being factored into some of this math? Yeah. So, you know, we gave all the clubs that we sort of ran down some of these disconnects or contradictions the opportunity to comment. And uh, a few of them reached out with kind of, hey, our owner or someone, our owner's spouse have donated recently in ways that it takes time for the FEC database to kind of Mm -hmm. basically update. Um, And so those haven't been reflected. So got a few of those last second um, from, from uh, LAFC, but you know, I, I mean, I think the, one of the big things for me is just kind of like, Pablo, you, I think you talked about this a little bit. It's just like really focusing on the contradictions, right? And then like going into, and I'm sure Meg, you'll ask about this probably, but just like kind of going into what that means and why that is and kind of the privilege of single issue voting um, mm-hmm. at this level, right? Right. Um, and, and I think all of that is pretty interesting. Um, and even though a club might be doing one thing and might, and an owner might even have his or her, in these cases, his, mostly anyway, uh, heads in the right spaces, right? Or in the, in the spaces that their clubs are say they're in, um, they still donate for different reasons to different politicians. It's not, that's not really to excuse it, but like that's sort of the reality of this American system that we live in. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to get into that. I know that, you know, this morning and talking to one of our editors, Alex, about the story and about the podcast, you know, he pointed out that in other years, probably reporting like this wouldn't have even been news, right? Like this story probably wouldn't have even been greenlit. But also part of this is because teams are being forced to make public statements, right? Um, that expectations, I think, are at a much higher level now in terms of actually, if you make a public statement that there is going to be action or a reflection that matches that public statement at all levels of the organization. Um, Pablo, like you were saying, you know, you're looking at the direct contradictions, right? So Black Players Coalition is obviously a big focus of this piece. There's also a lot of time spent on political donations that might adversely affect the LGBTQ plus community, right? Which I personally obviously found pretty interesting. Um, In terms of, you know, so abortion is one thing, right? And that might play to an NWSL audience in a little bit of a different way than an MLS audience. But where we have now this Black Players Coalition MLS has said, here's the investment. Sam, can you maybe walk through for, especially I think maybe NWSL or or women's soccer, people might not necessarily know what the status is in terms of the relationship between Black Players Coalition and MLS right at the moment. Yeah. So Black Players for Change, uh, they changed their name. (laughs) So I've I've made that mistake many times. Um, But Black Players for Change and MLS, they, they announced yesterday kind of these new initiatives. They had been meeting. They had a meeting between executive leadership from BPC and some of the owners from MLS. And that led to a million dollar donation to help BPC grow kind of over the coming years from MLS owners, the creation of a a diversity committee and several other initiatives to kind of say, you know, here's what we're going to do inside and outside of soccer. I guess the less here's what we're going to do, but like, here's the starting point. And like, here's like kind of a plan and a way forward. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, I think really positive, honestly. Um, and I think that's good. Like, I think, I think BPC has taken some really impressive leadership in this and kind of driving this forward. This doesn't happen without them. 
right? Right. They were the ones that organized the demonstration in Orlando in that first game of MLS is back for anyone that saw that on, on TV or social media. Um, and, and they've done a lot since then. Uh, they've opened up some mini pitches in, in kind of like, you know, kind of un, kind of na- struggling neighborhoods in, in different areas around yeah. the country. They have yeah. more plans to do so. Um, so the relationship, you know, there's that dialogue, but they gave us a statement for this piece too, right? And they were basically like, this isn't really surprising, but it is illuminating. And while owners might be saying the right things via their clubs in statements mm-hmm. or even in initiatives, like this is a really powerful thing. Even a 5600 or a $2,800 donation to any politician of any stripe, right? It, it's sort of saying not only do you endorse those policies, but you're kind of perpetuating that power structure, right? And so that's really important. And you can build mini pitches and you can make a million dollar donation to BPC. And I'm not saying those things aren't meaningful, but there's also a lot of meaning on the other side, even if that number isn't so big mm-hmm. on the surface. Right. Yeah, there's a, a quote from Hudson Taylor in the in the piece of, and I think this is, you know, we've seen it in MLB, right? There was um, our other big A1 feature in terms of like how welcoming Major League Baseball is to queer fans. But this concept from Hudson Taylor of like, you might be able to wrap your team in a rainbow flag, but then if the owner of that team is donating money to individuals or institutions trying to undermine the rights of queer people, like what are you actually doing <laughs> with your time and your money? Pablo, is there, what did you, what I guess is your main takeaway in terms of trying to balance these contradictions from owners of, you know, maybe it is the fact that they can have, they have the privilege of like a single position vote, but like I'm thinking about also your story about Chester, right? And how Philadelphia Union interacts with that community where it's a big it's a big topic. But like, where are you kind of seeing the through lines here? Well, there's, it's funny you bring that up. I was just thinking earlier today, there's there's contradictions everywhere in the piece, because even Chester, you know, the union, their ownership group gave I, I, I maybe Sam can correct me if I'm wrong on this. I don't believe I am pretty much only to Democratic candidates, um, but that's a team that's benefited tremendously from essentially corporate welfare. Um, and, you know, obviously has a, sort of a checkered past and dealing with its own underserved community. It's a different sort of disconnect, right? Um, the other thing that's interesting to dig into is, um, is that it's really just a business interest for these owners. It's not, you know, it's, and that's something I talked to Gilt Edge, a marketing firm about, if you look at, you know, there's, there's a general perception, right? That MLS fans, soccer fans generally are progressive um, mm-hmm. That's backed up by data. I mean, 30 some odd percent of MLS consumers or soccer consumers in the U.S. are millennials. The next biggest group is Gen Z. Those are, you know, you just look at those, the political breakdowns of those age groups. They're left leaning progressive consumers. And, you know, it would be suicidal if you're an MLS team to take views that run, you know, well counter to those groups of consumers. So, I mean, you could make a very, it's a cynical a cynical train of thought, but certainly it's probably a realistic one to say that, you know, it's a smart business decision to to publicly support these progressive causes. Um, you know, we had one MLS stakeholder who told us essentially anonymously, look, if MLS owners could hide every single one of their political political donations, they would. And it's something I definitely believe, you know, so. Yeah. 
All right, let's let's take this in a NWSL direction for a few minutes. Obviously, there are ownership group overlaps between NWSL and MLS. We've got Portland, Houston, Orlando, and Utah. Was there anything notable from those four ownership groups that you think NWSL fans should be aware of? Was it kind of, again, I feel like what we've discovered so far is that none of this is super exactly surprising, but... You know, I, I looked at Utah in the story today and I was like, oh, that's not necessarily what I thought was coming. That was a surprise, right? <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was completely shocked. <laughs> um, and for those who don't know, it's Utah owner Deloitte Hansen, who will soon be former owner. We'll see how soon, but he's in the process of selling the team for racist comments and a really negative, sexist, racist culture that was created. Uh, gave $15,000 and all of it was to Democratic candidates um, since the start of 2019. So a little bit of a surprise there. Uh, for the other clubs, I mean, Pablo, Houston, um, I think the, the, the donations were, were left-leaning and, and not that significant. Uh, Portland, you know, Merritt Paulson doesn't appear to have given anything. Um, his father, who, who does own part of the team, um, you know, and this isn't a surprise. He's the former secretary of the treasury under George W. Bush. And I believe also under Barack Obama, I think he continued on during the financial crisis, but somebody fact checked yeah. me there. Um, <laughs> I'm not, not making any promises. He gives to Republican candidates. Um, Merritt's mother, Wendy, who may or may not be involved in the ownership group. Um, I think probably is, uh, she gives, and Pablo, you looked this up. Help me out. Mostly to Democrats. Yeah, it's a blend of Republicans, Democrats, mostly Democrats. Yeah. And, and uh, Merritt as well has given um, to local candidates and to Demo Demo Democratic candidates right. in the previous election cycle. It's just not and, what we're dealing with here. And the Timbers and the Thorns have been two of the more kind of out there clubs in mm -hmm. this way, in terms of what they're doing, um, in terms of what they're saying. And I don't think anyone would argue that those things aren't positive, yeah. right? It's just like, do they always match up perfectly? No. Yeah. Right. Orlando ownership. There's nothing on file. I, I, I don't, I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but I, I don't believe they're uh, owned by a U.S. citizen. So. Yeah. Flavio is Brazilian. Um, they have the Orlando city has a minority owner that's American, but he had no donations that, that we could find. So. Right. All right. So today I, I took a spin and, and tried to find what I could for remaining NWSL ownership groups. And it was kind of a, a bit of a, a lot of missing results. But, you know, I think NWSL is unique in that we have the governor of New Jersey as an owner of an NWSL team. So we don't really have to wonder what his political intentions are. Right. His wife, Tammy Murphy, is um, basically the one really now running the club from an ownership perspective, First Lady of New Jersey, right? We also know where her political inclinations are. One of their co-owners, Ed um, Nalbanian, donated $250 in June to Joe Biden, right? But again, that's a team owned by the governor of New Jersey, so it's not exactly a, a shocking thing. Angel City has come in and had a very political leaning, you know, they're at least not shying away from it, right? And I didn't run every single ownership uh, name in the batch since, you know, I could be there for a couple of hours, but a 
Alexis Ohanian. We yeah. ran them all for <laughs> the I know. Yeah, but how long have you been working on your story? And I, I did this Come in on. two hours. Come on, Meg. Do the hard work of finding every <laughs> unproblematic, awesome candidate that an NWSL person supported. <laughs> <laughs> and do it in two hours. <laughs> yeah. my uh, th That was the fun of my FEC database because Alexis Ohanian has donated to Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang, which was not... <laughs> Really, where I was expecting. Drew Carey also did that. Who's yeah. a part owner of the Seattle Sounders? There's, there's, right, a, there's a couple. Right. There's a couple of gang gangers in MLS too. Uh, yeah, you know. yeah. yeah. Uh, Leon obviously has majority ownership in OL Reign now, but Bill Predmore still has a minority share. And in September 2019, he donated twenty hundred dollars to Kamala Harris. Um, just as a footnote. Even though Megan Rapino endorsed Liz Warren, which was a move I very much appreciated, um, she gave $1,000 to Kamala Harris, but there is a California connection there. And I think they were actually at a fundraiser together. There, there are some photos there. So ML, I think MLS, part of what, where I think a lot of the key differences are is there is still so much more money <laughs> happening at the MLS level. You look at the expansion fees, right? And we still don't have concrete numbers for NWSL. But we are talking, you know, the minimum amount of money that you have to have in order to get into NWSL is considerably smaller than the amount of money that you have to have in order to get into MLS. So it's usually for MLS, a lot of typically rich white men trying to protect their interests. But are there some takeaways that you think from your reporting that could be applied to NWSL, which I think also... You know, as much as we just talked about MLS having a progressive fan base, I think NWSL is even further left on that spectrum. Sam, you want to kick us off? Sure. I think Pablo got at this a little bit earlier, but like regardless of whether you're a billionaire like many MLS owners or a multimillionaire like, you know, NWSL owners and some MLS owners, like I think the business interests still apply by and large. And there are some exceptions to that rule, right? But you have like... Larry Berg is a good example here. Like he hosted a fundraiser for Christian Kristen Gillibrand at his mm -hmm. home in 2019. But his his only political donation prior to yesterday was five thousand dollars to Mitch McConnell in June, right? And he's a big private equity guy, and Mitch McConnell probably has policies that are friendly to that sort of industry, right? Mm -hmm. And and so like that's part of it, right? Like when you see owners give to candidates, it's not necessarily because they support everything that candidate does, but you know, just like everyone else in the world, they're a little bit compromised, maybe a lot yeah, compromised. I, I just, what I truly wonder about is, you know, you see a donation like the Berg one, which I want to say was 5,600 bucks. Maybe it was 2,800. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but like you, I wonder if that's even noticed. You know what I mean? Like, and it's, it's one of those things where if you're say John Ingram in Nashville and you give, I don't know, $10,000 to Marsha Blackburn, who is just like uh, dementedly homophobic and racist. And then you turn around and you give a total of $2 million in two years, like he did to, you know, uh, an immigrant rights coalition, um, you know, a charity in North Nashville that works with underserved residents there. Um, I, I do think that makes up for it in a way, but like, why are you giving the $10,000 in the first place? Like, I just don't right. understand. Uh, I don't know like how much currency that gets you when it 
comes to sort of being I think it's almost just like it's almost like being polite yeah you know like the world that these people operate in yeah like what you see I wanted some like like, they're going to parties (laughs) sorry I can't can't (laughs) say my local racist congresswoman and not have given her money uh, I mean, I, I mean, I like, but saying. like five thousand dollars to some of these people is like couch change for us. That's, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say too, it's, it's like it, it becomes painfully apparent when it's like uh, you look at Anthony Precourt, for example, who gave to to McCall. This, it, he also, by obviously not coincidentally, is the congressperson that Austin FC's new stadium resides in. You know, so it's like it is just sort of like a move to curry favor for something down the road. But again, um, as we've said multiple times, they do this because they can afford to be that sort of a voter or a donator. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'll look the other way on these other horrible issues because I just need this one favor and I'm going to make more money in the long term. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's disheartening. I look at your NWSL donations and it seems like you had probably a much better time compiling that data than <laughs> Sam and I did compiling ours. Yeah, I really, <laughs> I mean, it was really only when I got into, you know, Sacramento Republic, right, yes. is another another ownership yeah. group that might come into the NWSL. And that felt very different than pretty much every other ownership group. For sure. Um, uh, both so. both the owners involved in that club are uh, have some, some issues. Um, right. Certainly. So I think that there's a couple different avenues that I'd like to walk us down. But first, Sam, I think your point, this this really does feel like it is less about individual donations, right? And more about looking at the sum of its parts, that this is how sports interact with politics. And I'm sure, you know, I've had Kavitha Davidson, who works with us at The Athletic on the show, talking about her book. But we all hear this concept of like stick to sports, right? And thinking about tax breaks and stadiums and the way stadiums get built and how owners interact with local elected officials that sort of, hey, if I if I hand you over $5,000 of my money, is it gonna be easier for me in the long run? Where So do you really think that the priorities fall more into this sort of politicking of, yes, I get to have my cake and eat it too in terms of if I give you $5,000 eventually there's going to be a favor down the line or do you think it is it is really about what they personally believe I think it's probably both right and like we're not inside these people's heads yeah right so it's impossible to say for sure but if I had to guess like Anthony Precourt probably not at all in support of some of the things that Michael McCall has done here in recent weeks with his advertising campaigns. Um, but like he needed to get that stadium built. And so that's 2,800 bucks, right? Like he also gave 400 each, which is the max donation to Austin city council people, all Democrats, one who was in strict opposition to the stadium. Right. So you know, like I would guess that he's probably not aligned, but you do what you got to do. And I don't think it's like a straight up quid pro quo, but it's Mm -hmm. like when you make that ask down the road, you want to have that in your back pocket. Right. Yeah. So I can understand that. I think other owners probably give more aligned with what they really believe. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, or just generationally with what their family has done. Yeah. And, And like, I think like, you know, maybe this is being unfair, hopefully not, but like Phil Anschutz has a long history, right? Particularly with anti-gay 
organizations and candidates, right? And he's yep. he's made some donations in the other direction too, but he seems to be able to not really help himself on the other side, even after he's made donations um, that would support those those types of causes. So, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's expediency. I think it's what they actually believe. And I don't like necessarily think those two things are exclusive either, right? It can be both of those at the same time. So mm-hmm. um, all of the above, I guess, great answer, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Pablo, this is something that, that you and I were talking about, but Ann Schultz has actually been part of an ownership group for a women's team as well. AEG was the owner of Los Angeles Soul for WPS. But, you know, your point that you made to me was as the value increases for franchises, right? And this is not just for MLS, but for NWSL. Angel City coming into the league has been a bit of a game changer. Um, Having more ownership groups... Angel City is very interesting for the NWSL because it's not an Arnhem Whistler, right? Who's kind of been here since the beginning, believes in the mission of women's soccer, gets what he's trying to build, right? And maybe can't necessarily afford it on his own for much longer. But then you have the potential of who's going to be stepping in to buy teams. Like, are we going to start seeing more VC types? especially I think in women's soccer and Pablo, that was something that you and I were talking about. What are your, what are your thoughts on that front? Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, so it's interesting to look at the the history of the two leagues. I think MLS, if you look at Anschutz or, you know, say owners like the hunts in Dallas, like Anschutz in particular is somebody who, I mean, his name is on the championship trophy of the league. Um, You know, I think uh, a lot of these owners were sort of bedfellows with MLS out of necessity. I mean, I don't think the league, the league just to survive was probably interested in taking as much money as possible from whoever would give it. Um, NWSL, I think, might be in a different position. Um, you know, they've had like exponential growth here in the past couple of years, but generally slower growth. Um, and, and I think maybe they can even afford to be a little bit choosier with vetting investment groups, that sort of stuff. That, that to me is like going to be what's interesting to watch uh, moving forward is, you know, does the league would the league even consider, you know, not awarding a franchise or trying to work with a different investment group based on, um, you know, if they're, if they're dealing with ownership that has some sort of reprehensible moral views or lack of a moral compass. Um, to me, that's what I'm most interested in, you know, is, mm-hmm. is will they even admit ownership like that in the first place? Although you got Sacramento coming in and obviously they have their issues, you know, already. So, um, so that's not not the most encouraging data point, I guess. Right. I know this was something that our former managing editor, George, brought up on Twitter when he shared your story of this idea that owners can launder their own reputations through their teams. And that has been a concept that I think we've seen this tension in women's soccer with this, at least a portion of women's soccer people having this inherent, not distrust, but concern slash questioning about as male owners come into this league, like, what are your intentions? (laughs) Why are you here? Right. And Sam, you brought up Deloitte Hansen. I think that's a perfect place to start in this discussion. When he started to defend himself against some of these historical, right, reporting about racist comments and then about the sexist culture, one of the first defenses 
that he went to, or his wife went to really, was look at what he did with Utah Royals FC. Look at that locker room. Look at the investment, right? There is, to me, a particular danger when it comes to women's sports that with the direction that the sport is going in, right? There is a a big upside. It is an investment though. So it it turns into this like, oh, look at this nice thing that I'm doing for the women. Like it's so much better. Are there lessons here in terms of, you know, particular like red flags (laughs) that we should be looking for? Pablo brought up candidates that, that are completely anti-abortion, right? Like that's yeah. a that's a red flag for me in NWSL. But is there we're like let's let's maybe dig into Dola Hansen for a minute here. Yeah. So oh man. So first of all, I should mention I used to work for Real Salt Lake and Dola Hansen way back in the day, uh, 2012 to 2014. That's full disclosure again. That's <laughs> off my chest. Yeah. But um, I mean, it's interesting because yeah, he did all those things and he allowed that culture to to create to be built and played his role in building it. And he certainly said those things that are pretty abhorrent and have no place in society really. Um, but at the same time, he did more for Royals than basically every other owner in NWSL did for their teams, at least on like the surface level in terms of facilities mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. I think there is an element of like sport washing, right. That, that probably went along with that. Um, but I, I think I can say this pretty confidently. Like I think Deloitte really wanted to like make soccer the sport in Utah and that extended beyond men's soccer and into women's soccer. So I think some of it was like a genuine desire to grow the game too. And right. Like that's when you get back into, we're not inside these people's heads. Right. I think it's convenient to have on hand just in case something happens. That's for damn sure. Right. And we saw that in action a few months ago. Um, right. But in terms of red flags, you know, I don't know. Um, I think I think it's probably on us as journalists, and you know, any fans that are interested certainly could go look at, look this up themselves. But to see what their club messages, right, and how those messages align with the preferences of of the owner, and if it's legit or not, and if they're talking the talk, or if they're trying to have their cake and eat it too have things both ways so i don't know that there are any specific red flags other than just like going in and doing the work but this is something that we've seen for a long time right city football yeah. group yeah i mean i think right? it mirrors a lot of what we're seeing in the american society nowadays where it's like you the, the disconnect is the, the sort of like the the rub of the whole thing you know the fact that um you know people can do good works and still hold views that are generally pretty much universally considered to be morally bankrupt um, is something you see everywhere. I think it's pretty much most important for me, addition, in addition to the sort of stuff that Sam and I do, I mean, fans, fans, fans should hold teams accountable. It's like, I've often said this. I mean, the, the only way that any realistic change is sort of pushed forward is, is when you speak with your checkbook. I mean, fans need to educate themselves on sort of the beliefs of these owners. They should draw their own conclusions using, you know, the, for example, the information that Sam and I provide, information that they find about themselves, about whether they can, you know, uh, consciously sort of support these people. And if they can't, they should find another soccer team to support, spend their money there. And I, I mean, it's that is, simple, you know? I think there's actually a unique opportunity with MLS and NWSL for fans, being that those are smaller leagues. This has like a more an individual fan can have a much greater impact than say sure. an individual Dallas Cowboys fan, 
I mean, supporters right. groups too. If, if yeah, you, supporters you have, groups. You have this dynamic if you have thousands of people banded together that support one club. I mean, they have they they certainly would have a tremendous voice in this. You saw it with the Iron Front stuff last year. Um, the same could be true with with the way their owners spend their money. If they stop showing up, if they they're very vocal about it, you know, I'd be curious. I don't think you're going to change Phil Antrich's mind. But some of these smaller investors right. and smaller clubs, you know, if you're a club like Kansas City or Cincinnati, blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, you know, certainly I think that fans might for sure have an influence, influence or be able to, you know, play a part in sort of the re-education of these ownership groups. We've seen the players have the impact already, right? Yeah. And I think Cincinnati is actually a good example of that because they've been, they've had all sorts of issues even before this summer began. <laughs> they, they had to, their coach was allowed to resign. Um, because he was using the N-word in front of players. Uh, Dutch guy, maybe who knows what the context, if he does, if he knows the meaning, regardless, it's unacceptable, right? And he had to resign. They had issues with the construction company that they're using for their new stadium. Um, racist incidents I and mean, construction shut down and everyone at the site had to take a course for a day. That's not on the club, right? It's not their company, but... Um, these issues seem to surround them, but they, they, and, and their, their owner, Carl Lindner and some of the minority owners there um, have made big donations to groups that are not aligned with these views at all. And yet their club has, and Pablo, correct me if I'm wrong here, but in terms of like tangible initiatives that have been announced and started to put into place, they've probably done more than anybody else in MLS. For sure. I mean, they spent, I think a quarter million dollars or more on specific sort of initiatives, you know? Yeah. And like very, very specific, very targeted in terms of what they're doing and who they're doing it with and for. Um, and so I don't even, I can't even remember the initial question that I jumped off with this, on, <laughs> but um, I don't know. These conflicts are just like all over the place. And like, to me, it's like, what, like, what do you accept as a fan? And everyone's got a different line, right? Like to right. a degree, everyone's going to be compromised. But I think the interesting thing about, well, Pablo, you're shaking your head, but like, you know, everything we do, like we go to the grocery store, we buy food. Like I'm sure we could find some problems with whatever food company, you know, we're buying the food of like, there's a degree of this in everything. It's a little bit more. I agree with you. I mean, I think this is just, it's like, um, American kind of consumerism. I mean, I think. The, it's just what the, you're willing the, to accept. This is really simple, and it's just the destruction of late stage capitalism. And if we could just <laughs> very <get on> simple. <laughs> <laughs> this is a topic that has come up on this podcast before. Just, like I, I literally ask people, like, is there ethical consumption under capitalism? And the answer is no. Yeah. So yeah. we've been here before, but yeah, I think it's you know how do you and NWSL fans, I think in particular, have really shown like they have a very low tolerance. <laughs> for for nonsense in this in this particular realm but i think it is very interesting in terms of having information presented to you right and trying to decide of how do you reconcile both not necessarily giving up support but holding it accountable and not having those two things that be at odds right while also not being kind of blindly i need to defend my team at all costs and actually asking it to do better. Is that what's next maybe is in terms of, could there be maybe some improvements of like, we don't always have to jump to like, I need to defend my team, but I need to look at something and maybe say, this could be better. I think so. Right. Like, and I think there are ways to do it. Hopefully there are ways to do it 
like with willing clubs and willing participants and hopefully those clubs listen. And if they do, then I think you can make real progress. If they don't, then I think some of those questions about, is this something I can support become a little bit more existential um, or not existential, but pressing. Um, right. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, I do think though, I keep coming back to this idea that the fans in MLS and NWSL in particular have real power here, yep. right? Like other pro sports in America are behemoth industries and the machinery is going to keep grinding no matter what any one group of fans does, right? That's not the case in American soccer. Like, I, mean, I would even argue that with, especially on the men's side, uh, most fans are spoiled for choice. Like you don't even have to su- support an MLS team. I mean, and you, if you yeah. live in a major metropolitan area, uh, you you know, there's like, there are dozens of teams that you could sort of give your soccer dollars to. And it, look, I mean, I'm realistic. I, again, I mean, I think it's like important to make incremental change here and for fans to sort of push, you know, I, I don't expect, I don't expect any MLS fan to read Sam and I's piece today and be like, that's it. I'm not, you know, I'm never supporting the LA galaxy again. We've seen that on Twitter though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those people. I always say like the, uh, the official slogan of people who don't cancel their season tickets is I'm canceling my season tickets. <laughs> um, so I, I don't put a lot of stock in, in that, you know, but I just think, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think people should be, should be satisfied with incremental change. And as long as we sort of like keep, keep moving things forward and keep the conversation going. I think, I think that's what's, what's most valuable. Yeah. I think the one, the one idea, I really like the way that the piece ended with this concept of daylight, right? That one of the people that you talked to said that there would be no daylight between what a club says and then what the ownership group does or leadership does, right? That, um, political donations from individual owners would actually resemble what the clubs are doing. So in terms of how we keep this conversation going, maybe what comes next, even in terms of like reporting that I should be doing for the NWSL, but are there any plans in terms of, you know, where the stories might take you from an MLS point of view as well? Well, um, apart from a Chivas USA feature that has been, just like trying to get blood out of a stone for both of us here. Uh, you know, we haven't thought beyond that yet, <laughs> but I, yeah. Of Our course. editors are going to be thrilled that this Shiva's podcast. The only way we can make this more torturous is to do the USL version where we expand this to like, Oh my God. Teams. Yeah. I'm going to tap. I'm just going to go ahead and tap out in advance on that one. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot more ways, right? Like I think what BPC is doing, like for instance, that's something that I've been trying to keep tabs on, right? Like as a reporter and just be like, okay, like, can I continue to amplify this issue? Right. And to amplify this work. Um, because I think it's important to show like to show that in the light. Um, because if Mm -hmm. you don't, then it's pretty easy, right? This is the other thing about MLS and NWSL being smaller leagues. There's not that much scrutiny. Right. So like, it's important for us to scrut to keep scrutinizing these things and to keep bringing them up um, because in a small way or maybe even a big way, it can have an impact um, for positive, a positive impact. Jesus. Yeah, um, <laughs> or positive. Um, you guys know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, that's, that's like what I'm going to continue to do is just like continue trying to check myself on these things and say, ask myself periodically, okay, what's going on in place X, Y, and Z 
and really see, is there a story here or should there be a story here? That's sort yeah, of and it, I, I got to be honest, owners in MLS cannot insulate themselves in the way they do in, in sports that actually are popular in this country. Um, you know, I owners listen and, you know, just I say this as somebody who gets phone calls from from PR people with fear in their voice, et cetera, sometimes like it's, this is meaningful. Like if fans just sort of raise their voices together and like I said, speak with their, their dollars, like they can continue to affect change. So that's, that's my main takeaway. It's just like a lot of it is on, uh, I don't want to undermine the, the importance of what Sam and I do, which is it's, it's extremely important. We're the most important people in the world, but very important. <laughs> very important but um but honestly man fans have more power when it comes to this than we do you know much more right so right pablo you also have skull quest 2020 to complete so i just uh i ended this weekend with uh with grave dirt under my fingernails for an upcoming story so so yeah there's that this is this is the myriad uh (laughs) various topics that we cover at the athletic from FEC filings to, to grave dirt. Yeah, so from dead, good times. From dead franchises to dead people. <laughs> Sam and Pablo teaming up again. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to you both for joining me. Have fun ending uh, on that. Yeah, I know. It's a great. I mean, I if I, we I just, just want to tease Skull Quest 2020 all the time yeah. because I personally yeah. am just waiting to read the story myself. So... Pablo sent me, and I don't want to spoil it, but Pablo sent me some photos this weekend and I <laughs> gasped out loud. So there, I sent her some photos about the story that made her gasp. Yeah. Out loud. <laughs> yeah. Good, good clarification. All right. Sam, can you please tell people where to find you in addition to the athletic oh, your social media of choice? Yeah. You, please find me on uh, MySpace. No, uh, um, I'm on Twitter, <laughs> Sam Stayskull. I'm trying to be on Twitter a lot less. So follow me don't follow me whatever it doesn't even matter (laughs) (laughs) but that's where i am read my articles on the athletic that's that's more important pablo yeah i'm currently migrating all my social media accounts to pinterest uh but i am on twitter at mlsist uh i don't like what you see there so don't follow me (laughs) (laughs) if anyone's on tumblr it's me and i am so (laughs) all right (laughs) That's the perfect place to end this episode. Angelfire.com backslash Megan. You guys are both in my top I was eight. really, I, I was GeoCities all the way. Thank you. Top eight. So. Man, that was demented. The top eight thing. It's you two and Tom. It's. That's it. Yeah. Great. Thank you to Sam and Pablo for joining me and taking time out of their busy schedule of writing that Shivas USA story that has been hanging over their heads for literally months. All right, that's our show for this week. As always, I will be back with you next Thursday. Please make sure you subscribe. That is the easiest way to listen to the show. All right, one more thing. I've always meant to start listening to some of Total Soccer Show's spinoff, Soccer 101, and this week felt like a really good time to start listening to some episodes and see how I can become better at my job and appreciating the game. I feel like Terrell and Taylor are going to teach me a lot. So this week, I hope you find an episode of Total Soccer Show or Soccer 101. You know, there are plenty of women's soccer episodes for Total Soccer Show. Kate Markgraf was on during the draft. Lori Lindsay and Jordan Angeli were on at the draft. I was on at the draft. There's plenty. And appreciate all of the work that Daryl and Taylor have put into American soccer. 
All right. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast and you would like for other people to enjoy this podcast, I tell you every week, rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts is one of the easiest ways to make that happen. Literally last week, we had a player from the 1999 World Cup leave a very positive review. It made my weekend. If she can do it, you can do it. Thank you, Tisha. (laughs) Subscribing or following also definitely plays a role, too. You can subscribe, again, wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and The Athletic. Again, that offer for a new subscription to The Athletic for $1 a month is at theathletic.com slash full-time. You can find me on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan, our podcast producer who has a lot to do this week, so thank you in advance. He is Michael Zimmerman from The Athletic. I'm Meg Linehan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.